All right, that's enough. That's enough. Hey, if you got your Bibles with you today, let's turn to Acts 10. Acts 10, and we're going to start there today. We're going to start a new sermon series, actually, this morning. And uh, this is going to be the first part of this sermon series. And so uh, we're going to start in Acts 10, and we're going to begin in verse 9. Acts 10 and verse 9. Acts 10 and verse 9, and we're going to start there. I'm reading from the New Living today. It says, the next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the roof to pray about noon. And he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. In verse 11, he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet there were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up Peter, kill and eat them. And the hunter said, amen. All right. Guess we got a lot of vegans in the crowd tonight. I mean, this morning. All right. I thought this was the Midwest. I th- assumed everybody ate meat around here, but maybe not. Rise, kill, and eat. And uh, verse 14, he said, no, Lord. Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again and said, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. That's a key word for us today. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and then the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. Now, we're going to stop there for right now uh, as we get into the series, and we might read more in this passage in Acts 10 as we get going, but this uh, first uh, sermon in this series is kind of kind of be an introduction to the rest of this series. So we're going to say a lot of things that kind of prepare us for the next few weeks. So as you can see, uh, it's up there. The title, Accidental Pharisees, is the title of this new series we're starting today. Now, you guys, you guys ready? You, you, you strapped in here. You got your seatbelts on because we're going to go somewhere uh, today in the next several weeks. And I got several messages I, w- I want to preach about this. And so we're going to start a sermon series called Accidental Pharisees. Accidental Pharisees. But uh, today, if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is What's in Your Sheets? What's in your sheets? So, like I said, we're starting the series called Accidental Pharisees, and we're going to kind of give some introduction for those of you who don't know what a Pharisee is or, or what the meaning of this passage we just read. Uh, we're going to kind of do some introduction of uh, what we're going to talk about today. So you ready for this? You, you, know, you promise you're ready for this. You're going to respond. Now, uh, let's just establish this at the beginning of this. We can all change in this area. And we can all have God deal with our heart because he is in this sermon series. He's dealt with mine, so he's going to deal with yours. And he wants to change us, and he wants to show us areas in our life that we need to change. And we need to be open for that. And so this sermon series is going to be challenging. And I would say, especially for those of you who have been saved a while, especially of those of us who have been a Christian for a while, it's going to probably be more challenging for you this series than it is somebody who's new coming in today. Now, if you're an unbeliever, you don't know what we're talking about today, you'll still get something out of this message, but I'm primarily talking today to Christians for believers in Jesus. So as we get this sermon series started, uh, I just want to give some introductory remarks about uh, what a Pharisee is. Like I said, this, uh, this series is called Accidental Pharisee. And a Pharisee is a lot of things, but let me start here. A Pharisee... Uh, if, you, if you look up the word Pharisee, this is what it is. A Pharisee is somebody really in the time of Jesus, when Jesus lived in Bible times, was someone who was a religious leader. They were a religious leader. They were the pastors of that day. They were the ministry gifts of that day. A Pharisee was somebody who was in authority. And a Pharisee in that day was someone who was very popular, a very influential Now, the funny part is this, because 2,000 years later, after uh, the Pharisees lived, we all know, especially those of us who are in church, that the Pharisees are the bad guys. The Pharisees aren't good. The Pharisees are the, the, the people that just bring a bummer to every party. They ruin everybody's day. They're not fun. They're not good. They are the Darth Vader's of 
when Darth Vader was Darth Vader, not when he changed back to Anakin because there was still good in him. Now, there was no good in Pharisees. You got to be right in your Star Wars theology. Okay. So, we know the Bible in light of all the history and the context of all these thousands of years. But in the time that Jesus lived, and in the Bible times, the Pharisees were the most popular people. Everybody wanted to be a Pharisee. Everybody looked up to the Pharisees because, like I said, the Pharisees were the most popular, the most elite. They were the Hollywood of that generation. If they were playing basketball, they were the Steph Currys and the LeBron James of basketball. They were the most popular, well-known people. Everybody wanted to grow up and be a Pharisee. Because they were influential. They were popular. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was a Pharisee before he got converted and got saved. He was a Pharisee. And he had a lot of influence. So that's the first thing we need to establish because we look at it 2,000 years later and we're like, yeah, they stink. They're the bad guys. They're evil. They're against Jesus. But if you lived in that time, no, they weren't. They were the good guys. And it was the complete opposite because they thought Jesus was the bad guy. Because he was coming and disrupting all their systems and the way they thought about God. So in that day, the Pharisees were the most popular people. They were, they were looked up to by everybody. You know, even if people didn't like them, they still looked up to them and they respected them. Because they were known to be the people who loved God the most. Who followed God the best who were above everybody else because they had dedicated their life to God, which are all good things, right? They're all good things. But what happened was this. The Pharisees started out good. They started out doing the right things. Actually, the Pharisees came from um, the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was really two different main groups of religious leaders in the Old Testament. There was the priest and there was the scribes. The priest and the scribes. Now, the priest did a lot of the work in the church, like preaching, like uh, giving sacrifices, helping people out. But the scribes, which the Pharisees came from, were the people who were copying the Bible all day long. So you could go ahead and assume they were a little dry to begin with. If all you do is sit in a room and copy the Bible for hours on end and you don't get any fresh air and talk to anybody, you're going to be a little grumpy to start with. And so the Pharisees came from the scribes. And the scribes were known for, because they wrote the Bible all day long, being a tad bit more legalistic than the other religious leaders. Because if your job is just to copy the Bible and its laws all day long, guess what? You would know it better than anybody else. And so the Pharisees came from the, the scribes of that day, the religious leaders of, of, in the Old Testament that are talked about, the scribes. And they were the legalists. They were the law keepers of that day. Now, the problem is that what started as something that was good turned into something that was bad. And this message applies to us today who are saved, who are Christians, Especially those of us who have known God a while, because your relationship with God can start out good, but it can turn bad. Now, let me tell you how that happens. Is because the enemy knows most of us, he's not going to get you with the big sins that we think about when we say sin. You're smart enough to avoid those things. But the thing he gets a lot of Christians and believers into is a different form of sin. It's called pride. And it's just as destructive, and dare I say more destructive than the other ones, because pride implies that you can't admit that you're wrong. At least the other sins, you know you're wrong when you're doing it, but you're doing it anyways. The thing about pride is, you don't even know that you're wrong, and you're doing it. Or even if somebody confronted you that you were wrong, you would say, no, I'm not, because you're prideful. Are you following me so far this morning? And so the enemy tries to get us over into this category of pride. Pride in our walk with God. Pride in we're more holy than other people. Pride that we're more committed to God than other people. Pride that we're better than other people. And that's not the heart of God. But notice, the enemy can start turning our heart 
And we think it's a right direction, but actually it's going in a wrong direction. And ends up into a place that a lot of us eventually become accidental Pharisees. You didn't plan on ending up here, but you got here. You know, the people of that day, the Pharisees of that day, didn't plan to grow up and to be a bad guy. They thought that they were right. Why? Because they were keeping God's law. And they thought they were right because they were helping other people keep God's law. And if you said, hey, you're going to grow up and Jesus is going to be sent to the earth, who is God, and you're going to miss him, and you're going to persecute him, they would say, no, I don't want to do that. But notice it happens in our heart by accident. The enemy's subtle, and he gets us into pride. You know, the, um, you follow me so far today. If you look up the word Pharisee, there's two words that go with it in all the definitions. And these are the two things that I would say, this is the reason that most people don't want to come to church. This is the reason that most people don't want to become a Christian because they know Christians. Yeah, I knew it would be quiet on that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, enough. Different series. Change it up. Come on. Mm. Mm-hmm. The two things that people say the most about, well, why don't you go to church? Why don't you want to give your life to God? They don't have a problem with Jesus. They never have. Most people will say, we love Jesus, but not the church. Now, you got to be fair. And I've preached on that statement before. Now, I don't agree with that statement, but you have to be a little bit understanding on the other person's side. There is some truth to that statement because people say, we love Jesus, but not the church. Now, why are they saying that? Because the church is not like Jesus at all. That's why they have a problem with it. So you got to see the other side too. The reason people say, well, we love Jesus. We're okay with Jesus. It's just not church people in church. Because the church as a whole, not everybody, but as a whole is not like Jesus at all in the way they treat and respond to people who don't know God. And even each other. I tell you what, the people that argue with the most about God and about spiritual things and about life are the Christians on Facebook, not the unbelievers. How's that work? (laughs) So here are the two words that are always used when it comes to Pharisee. And these are definitions, if you look it up, two words. Self-righteous and hypocrite. Self-righteous and hypocrite. When people think about church people and why they don't come to church, they say those two words. Church people are self-righteous and they're hypocrites. Which me, as a pastor, I'll say, you're right for the most part. I knew it would be quiet. So, we have to deal with these issues as accidental Pharisees. Now, this is just the introduction. We're just getting going. So when they talk about Pharisees, those two words always come to mind. Self-righteous and hypocrite. Self-righteous and hypocrite. That's why people don't want to come to church. They don't want to be a Christian. They don't want to get to know God, even though they feel like God is good, but then they know people who say they know God, which aren't nice, and act above them and judgmental. So we have to deal with these things. Now, as we get going in this, something to understand is the thing about a Pharisee is you don't know when you are one. That's why we're preaching this series. Let me read you a little quote here. Now, this is a book that I'm reading that goes along with this series. It says, No one starts out to desire to become a Pharisee. They're the bad guys. We all know that. In the same way, no one ever looks in the mirror and sees a Pharisee. I've never heard anyone describe himself as a Pharisee. I bet you haven't either. The word always describes someone else. Of course. But the truth is that 
And accidental Pharisees are made up of people just like you and me, people who love God, who love the scriptures, and are trying their best to live by them. The thing is to note about accidental Pharisees is just that, they're accidental. Now, you'll, you'll like this. They're like dinner at Denny's. No one plans to go there. You just end up there. <laughs> so how does that happen, and what are the signs, and what do we need to watch out for? So that's why we're doing this series. That's why we're doing this series. How do we know the signs of being a Pharisee? How do we know how to see it in ourselves when it's there? In 2 Peter 3, we're not going to turn there, but you can read this later. It says that there's people that twist the scriptures to their own destruction. You know, that's what Pharisees do. They take something that's good, which is the scriptures, and they twist it in a way that harms them, but harms other people. And that's the part that's confusing for a lot of people because a lot of people think that they're right. And they're good because sometimes they'll even use scriptures to put other people down. But Peter says you can twist the scriptures in such a way that it's not life-giving anymore. You can hurt yourself with it by condemning yourself and beating yourself up with it. But also, a step further and a step that's worse that Pharisees do, they don't just beat themselves up. They beat other people up with those scriptures and harm other people by twisting the scriptures. And that's the, the idea of the enemy. He wants to take what's good, what God did, and what God has said, and twist it in such a way that you don't even realize that it's being twisted. Once again, it's accidental. You didn't plan to go to Denny's, but it happened, didn't it? On accident. So, as we get into the series today, we're going to talk about Acts 10, and we're going to talk about Peter and the vision he had. So let's look over at Acts 10, and we're going to start in verse 9. Y'all still here this morning? Good. You still want to be here? Good. So, in Acts 10, in, in verse 9, it says, The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray about noon. And he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And the sheet was filled with all sorts of animals, reptiles, birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. In verse 14, he said, No, Lord, Peter declared, I've never eaten anything our Jewish laws had declared impure and unclean. In verse 15, but the voice spoke again, and it said, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision, notice, was repeated three times, meaning, Peter, you got to be dumb to miss this. We're going to give it to you three times just so you fully understand this is from God. And then it says, then the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. Now, once again, today we're talking about what's in your sheets. What's in your sheets. Now, I like to fish. Who likes to fish in here? Who likes to fish? Who likes to eat fish? Okay, more hands than that. Um, but I like to fish. I haven't got to fish as much as I'd like to the past couple of years, but I used to go fishing all the time. Go fishing on the river, go fishing at a pond, go fishing at the lake, go fishing at a creek. I mean, I'm really not a country boy, but when it comes to fishing, I feel like the country boy comes over me. I'm not a country boy by nature, but when it comes to fishing, I feel like I got to wear camo and I can do this. I'm okay with getting dirty when it comes to fishing. Everything else, I like to be clean. I got good hygiene. That's an impartation from Dr. Jacobs. So, when it comes to fishing, I feel like I'm a country boy, a good old country boy. And so, um, a few years ago, now there's one thing about fishing that I don't like, though, because I'm okay with bugs. Bugs aren't that big a deal, but there is one bug particularly that is too much. And especially if you're out at a pond with trees around and you're in a forest area, they're more likely to be there than you just at the river. There's something called ticks. They're worse than the rest because they're subtle. 
they're accidental. They're freaky. I, I just can't stand them. I'm okay with other bugs a little bit, but ticks are just another level. Why? Because a lot of times you'll find them later on in the day, and you're like, oh, my gosh. If there's one, there has to be more. And you start freaking out. So uh, several years ago, I was fishing, and I, I came home. And, of course, I got in the shower because I was dirty and muddy. And I thought I took a really good shower and, and scrubbed myself. I'm like, okay, there's no bugs. I mean, no ticks. I laid down in the bed to go to sleep. Now, this is for a nap. This is not bedtime. There's, it's still light outside. I laid down for a nap. Now, I laid down for a nap, and I'm trying to go to sleep. And I'm tired from fishing. But there's something that happens in the change of life for men. You know, men start getting hair on their chest. Okay, not to get too personal here, but men start to get hair on their chest. So I got a little hair on my chest, not too much. I don't look like a wolverine or anything. Um, I know some of you men do, and it's scary. You need to shave or wax. Um, but just enough hair to let me know that I'm a man. That's all that I need. So I have a little chest hair right here. And you know what? Sometimes it, it could be ticklish. Okay, that's not a manly word, but I'm going to say it. It could be ticklish. It could feel funny. And you feel like, you know, there might be something there, but it's just hair. It's just hair. That's all it is. Maybe it's like new growth, and that's why you're like, oh, this is tingling. This is ticklish right here. Daryl, are you, are you uh, agreeing with what I have to say here? See, look, I need confirmation of this. So he knows exactly what I'm saying today. So as I'm sleeping, I feel a ticklish feeling right in here. I'm thinking, okay, maybe my chest hair is just feeling a little weird. Uh, just a little uncomfortable. But then it carried on, and it felt like that hair was moving. (laughs) So I throw the sheets off, because you can't just gently place the sheets off yourself. I threw the sheets off myself, and I noticed there is a big black tick right here crawling towards my face (laughs) on my chest. And, of course, you know what I did? I jumped out of bed, grabbed that tick with all of my might, squeezed the life out of it because it deserves to die, <laughs> threw it in the sink. Of course, I turned the water on because we're not just going to kill it. We're going to drown it also. We're not just going to squeeze the life out of it. So guess what? After that, I could not take a nap. I don't think you could either. Because now you feel like there is ticks all over your body, all over the bed, all over your house. Now you can't live there anymore. Now you have to burn down your house because there's ticks everywhere in your house. That's what one stinking tick can do to your mind. It's scary. It's freaky. One tick can mess with you that much. Now, I know you country folks maybe don't agree with me as much, but it's nasty. So that tick was right here. Just one, and it was one tick. It was one tick. But notice, after that, after that time, it took me a while to, to be able to sleep again in that bed. It took me a while because I didn't know what was in my sheets. I didn't know what was in my sheets. And I was scared about it. I was intimidated about it. And notice it, it happened on accident. Now stay with me today. You know, if today, if we ask everybody in here, do you want to reach people for Jesus? Everybody would say yes. Everybody would say yes. If you said, you know, would you like to see your, your unsaved or uh, co-workers or relatives or people that you know, would you like to see them saved? Would you like to see them going to heaven? Would you like to see them in church? Would you like to see their life restored? Every person that's a Christian would say yes. Everybody would say yes. But the question is, then why doesn't that happen? Then why doesn't that happen? If everybody genuinely heartfelt feels that way, and I'm not just saying this church, I'm saying every church and Christian on the planet would say yes to that question. They know better. Even if they didn't even believe it, they would say yes, because that's what Jesus told them to believe. You want to see all the world reached and all the world saved. So we would all say yes, but why doesn't it happen? And I would say today it's because we don't deal with the issues in our sheets. We don't deal with the issues in our sheets. Now, we're going somewhere today. Stay with me. 
In Acts 10, this is a story about Peter. Peter was a church leader of that day. And what happens, the context of this story is this. Before he had this vision, there was this guy named Cornelius. Cool name. I mean, baby names, 2017. Bible names, Cornelius. And you know what? He was, he was a, a man who loved God, and he said he gave offerings, but he didn't know the true God. So he was outside of the Jewish faith of that day. And it says that Cornelius, his heart was right towards God in that he was searching for God. He was seeking after God, but he didn't have anybody to tell him the right way to go. And it says because his heart was right towards God, what happened was God sent an angel to him and said, Hey, there's a guy named Peter. He lives over here. Send for him because he can tell you the way to God. He can tell you how to get saved. He can tell you the way that you need to go. Because I know you're searching, Cornelius. You just don't know where to find God. So that happened right before this vision that Peter had. But once again, Cornelius Cornelius was not a person who was of the Jewish faith or of the Christian faith at that time. He was an unbeliever. He was not in a relationship with the true and living God. And so Peter has this vision about this sheet that's let down from heaven, and there's animals on it. Now, this passage is so significant because it's really a turning point in the church history. And it's bigger than just, oh, that's sweet. You know, there's some stuffed animals on a sheet. That's, that's precious that Peter had a sweet little dream like that. But notice, it's a very significant passage because it, it deals with the prejudice and the attitudes that we have against people that are not like us. It deals with the prejudice and attitudes that a lot of Christians have towards unbelievers or people that they just don't think are living as right as they are. And that's how people become an accidental Pharisee. The thing is that, notice Cornelius was seeking God, but he needed somebody to show him the rest of the way. His heart was right towards God. You know, I honestly think most people on the planet has a heart toward, tor, torn, whoo, a heart turned towards God. There we go. Try to say it too quick. Most people have a heart that's seeking after God in some way. Most people have a heart that knows that there is a God, that knows that they want to be right with God, but they don't think, I can't be good enough for God. Or I don't know anybody to show me the way. And this idea that churches don't need to be seeker friendly or seeker sensitive is wrong. Pastor, did you say that on Sunday morning? Yes, I did. It's wrong. Because we should be sensitive to the needs of people seeking God. It's funny, we say that on this side. But if you were the person seeking God, you would want somebody to be sensitive to your needs, wouldn't you? Oh, you don't want to be seeker-friendly. Why? You don't want to be friendly to people that are trying to seek God and want to know God? You don't want to be friendly to those people? If you were on the opposite side of that, let's think about that again. Would you want somebody to be friendly to you and invite you and engage you, knowing that, hey, I know I don't know the right way to go, but at least my heart is going in that direction. I'm trying to seek. I'm trying to know. I'm trying to find. I just need somebody like Cornelius needs to show me the way, to show me the right direction. And he sent that man to Peter. But all these years later, he sends other people to us and to our church. People like that that are seeking God. They want to know God. They want to be healed. They want to be right. They want to be delivered. But they just need somebody who will show them the right way. But notice we can't do that if we are Pharisees. We can't do that if we're 
judgmental. We can't do that if we think we're better than everybody. We can't do that if we're comparing other people to the way that our life is. We can't do that if we are an accidental Pharisee. And we have these things in our heart notes, we have these things in our sheets that we need to deal with before we can reach people. Like I said at the beginning, if we ask you, do you want to reach people? Do you want people to know God? Do you want uh, to see you personally, not just the church, reach people for God, help people, heal people, and to see the church grow? You would say yes. But it doesn't happen because we don't deal with what's in our sheet. Now, he had this vision, and it was on a rooftop. Now, in that day, and still in the Middle East, most of the rooftops are flat because it's very hot over there, so they can go up there in the day and get some shade and relax. And so Peter went up on the rooftop. He was very hungry. Sounds like me before lunchtime. And he fell asleep. He was so hungry. He was waiting on his meal to be prepared. His blood sugar was low. That's what my mom says at lunchtime. You're getting a little lethargic and grumpy. You need to eat some food. And so what happened with Peter, he, he went on this rooftop. He was taking a nap before his meal, and he had this vision three times in a row. So it's significant. If God told you one time, it would be enough. But he told you three times in a row, he's really trying to impact your life. Now, Peter, being a good Jewish boy who grew up with these laws and traditions, knew that he couldn't eat certain animals. He knew that there were some animals that were clean, there were some animals that were unclean. And in Leviticus 11, we're not going to turn there, but you can read, there's a passage in Leviticus 11 that says, these are all the animals that you can eat that are clean, God's saying to his people, and these are all the animals that are unclean. And he says, I want you to eat these clean animals, but don't eat the unclean animals because that will be sin, that will be wrong. Now, a lot of people will, will take those scriptures you know, out of context, but the reason, the main reason God said that is because there is some truth in what he said. And he was giving his people some godly wisdom. Because a lot of the animals that you couldn't eat were animals that eat everything. They're scavengers. Like Amzi. <laughs> no, he agrees with that. It's not a, it, that's not a diss. That's his real life. He eats everything. He has a steel stomach. Um, but a lot of these animals were animals that are scavengers. They eat dead things. They eat things that you probably don't want in your body. So he said, stay away from these things. You know, he did say bacon was on the list. I'm sorry. Here's the good news. The New Testament says we're not under the law, but under bacon. That's what it says, under grace. So that's the good news. But he said, you know, you should stay away from pigs. Why? Because pigs eat all sorts of junk, and that goes into your body. You know, he said to stay away from shrimp and lobster. Okay, but the good news is, you're not under the law, you're under red lobster, right? Because you can't beat the cheddar biscuits at red lobster. My God, help me, Jesus. That will make a Presbyterian pray in tongues, those cheddar biscuits at red lobster. So I'm not going to go over all the animals, but... Trust me, you will have a good laugh. Do this this afternoon. Google it. Google biblical unclean and clean animals and read the list out loud. You will laugh on some of these. I'm like, where in the world? I mean, it was like, don't eat an owl. Don't eat a bat. Don't eat. I'm like, where are they coming up with these creatures? Who in the right mind would eat some of these animals? So. You're free. You're under grace. You're under grace. Okay, bacon and lobster for, for lunch. He was just saying it's usually not wisdom to eat animals like that because, like I said, they scavenge and they eat stuff that's really not good for you. So he knew from the time he was young to the time he was old, he knew because he was taught these are unclean things, these are clean things. I can't eat unclean things. I can only eat clean things. And if I do eat something unclean, that makes me unclean. And that was a big deal to the Jewish people of that day. 
But they took it a step further, and you'll see this in the Old Testament. What started as something that was good turned into something that was bad. Now, God would tell his people, you do need to separate from certain people, certain tribes, certain nations, because I'm trying to do something in your life, and these nations will bring you down. They will mess up your life. They will bring their gods into your life, and you'll end up serving other gods and not the true living God. That was right. He said that in the Old Testament, but eventually it got to a place where the Pharisees and other religious people of that day took it a step further. So it wasn't just about unclean animals and clean animals. It was there was unclean people and clean people. And if I get around somebody who's unclean, then I'm unclean. They even had rules like this, that if I even go into a person who's an unbeliever's house, then I'm unclean. If I eat a meal with them, then I'm unclean. If I talk to them, then I'm unclean. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And so Peter knew this in his heart and his mind, what was clean and what was unclean. And they took it to the place that a lot of Christians take today with other people. Clean and unclean. Clean and unclean. So guess what? If, if, if I go to eat with somebody who's not saved like I am, then I'm unclean. If I talk to somebody who's not going to church like me, then I'm unclean. If I reach out to somebody who's not saved or not living like I am, then I'm unclean. And so this idea of clean and unclean was definitely on Peter's mind when he had this vision. So we can have the same attitude with other people. That when we get around other people that it makes us unclean, so I want to stay away from it. Now you kind of see why the Pharisees had such a problem with Jesus eating with people who weren't saved. Now you see why Jesus was so persecuted by the religious people of that day because he said, they would always say, well, you eat with the drunks. You eat with the prostitutes. You eat with the lowlifes of society. And you say you're God, you are unclean. And we're better than you. And Jesus came and disrupted that whole entire way of thinking. Now we're going somewhere today. Stay with me. This passage is not about our diet. You could learn some godly wisdom from it. But it's not about our diet. Notice, God wasn't trying to change Peter's diet. He was trying to change Peter's heart. Just like he's trying to change your heart towards other people that you think are unclean. That you think are unworthy. That you think are unholy. That you think aren't as good as you are. Now, the thing about this is we're all in the same boat together. I myself have slipped into this area in my life unknowingly several times. And we start judging and having prejudice towards other people that God wants us to reach. So he wasn't changing Peter's diet. He was changing Peter's heart. And it says, don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. In the message, it says... God's saying, if I say it's okay, it's okay. Jesus came for all, not just clean people. And really the idea of clean people and non-clean people is not really true anyways. Because the reality is we're all unclean compared to God. The truth is we're all unworthy compared to God. The truth is we're all unholy compared to God. Even if you grew up in church and you feel like you didn't do anything wrong, you are a sinner by nature and you have sinned and you're just as unclean as everybody else. Now, why do we say, say people are unclean and other people are clean? Is because we judge people based off how big we think their sin is compared to ours. Now, the reality of that is this, that sin is sin, bottom line. In the eyes of God, it's all wrong and it's all destructive. Now, there is some sins that will put you in prison on earth. 
But in the eyes of God, lying is just as bad as murder. Worry is just as bad as worshiping a false god. In the eyes of God, sin is sin. And so this idea of clean and unclean is really not even right to begin with. So Peter, he, he gets this vision. He has it three times. And Peter, as we know, he preached the first message on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people were saved and he was a leader in the early church. And notice all these chapters later, he has attitude and prejudice issues towards other people. As a leader in the church, God gives him this vision and says, hey, if you're going to be a leader in my church, and if you're going to reach the world, you're going to have to change the way you look at other people. Because at that time, Peter was only preaching to people that were Jewish like him. And he felt like the only people that were really going to get saved were people that were Jewish or religious like him. And God said, no, that's not right. I want you to reach the whole world. I want you to go into the whole world. But you're not going to be able to effectively touch people, change people, reach people, help people, unless you deal with what's in your sheets. Unless you deal with what's in your heart towards other people. You're thinking. Jesus came for all and he said, go into all the world. Now, I'm going to list some things, and we're going to talk about some things that are kind of hot-button issues in the church. And these are things that are in our sheets that we have to deal with. And trust me, if you search your heart today, or even this afternoon, God will bring up stuff. Everybody's got something. Everybody's got one area. We'll say, well, I think that all these people could get saved and come to our church, but those people... I don't know. We all got at least one category that we need to let God deal with what's in our sheets. So when he gave him this vision, he wasn't talking about his diet. He was talking about his heart. And he was saying, don't call all these people unclean and you don't want to preach to them and you don't want to talk to them and you don't want to associate with them and you don't want to reach them for Jesus when I've called them clean. That's God speaking to him. So here's some things that we, as believers and as people, we start having prejudice and attitudes in our hearts and become accidental Pharisees. Some of you, it could be race. Now, you don't have to write these down, but you can if you want. Some of this could be race. Some of you have racial issues, whether that's in the church or outside the church. Some of you don't want to talk to somebody who's a different color than you. Somebody who you don't want to talk to or you don't want to have in your church. Somebody who's a different race or a different background than you. That's wrong and that's sin. And God wants to deal with that if that's in your sheet. I've said this before and I'll say it again. And I've said it jokingly, but I mentioned this a while back. Don't get me started on the race issue because we know, everybody knows in here what I think about white people. <laughs> which I am one. Notice the white people aren't laughing. Like, <laughs> 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 That's my white person impersonation. Isn't that funny, Todd? <laughs> <laughs> joking, joking, joking. Calm down, everybody. Calm down, everybody. But I've said this before. Lord knows I don't want a white church. It would be too stuffy. Too stale. No soul. No life. All right, calm down. You guys are so offended. But what did I mean by that? Okay, I was joking around to some level, but there's still some truth in it. What do I mean by that? I want to see a church where there's African-Americans, there's white, there's Indian, there's brown, there's yellow, there's red, there's Asian, there's Middle Eastern. But they could be a Muslim. Oh, I'm sorry. 
I want a church that has all the races in it and all the backgrounds in it because we're all a part of the same family. And guess what? When you get to heaven, that's what it's going to look like. It's not going to look like a bunch of white people in the suburbs. It's going to look like everybody from every background, from every style, rich and poor, brown and white, every color. So that's the way that the church should look. And we know this in the, in the past several years, and Dad said this before, the race issue is still here. But it shouldn't be here for those of us that are believers. It shouldn't be here for those who are in the church. And some of you need to deal with that in your sheet. Some of you have issues about status. Well, I don't want to go to a church with a bunch of poor people who need stuff. Or maybe you're the opposite. I don't want to be around a bunch of rich people that have everything. Why don't we just be the church and take care of each other and nobody will be lacking anything? <laughs> like we read last week, like the early church. Everybody was in this together. Everybody was taking care of each other's needs. Everybody was a family together. Here's one. I don't want an old church. For some of you older folks, I, want, I don't want a younger church. Once again, we need each other. We need each other. We need the old. We need the middle-aged. We need the young. We all help each other. We all affect each other. Not one is right and not one is wrong. We're all right. And we all need each other. And so if we're going to reflect the kingdom of God, we need to have a church that's not just old or young. It's both and everything in between. But notice sometimes we can get prejudice and attitudes. I know that for a fact. Older people can look down on younger people. They don't know anything. They don't have wisdom. They just have passion. And younger people can look at the older people and say, stop trying to tell me what to do. Stop trying to give me wisdom, which is a.k.a. telling me what to do. Instead of listening to older people, they actually have something good to say to you. But notice, we need to stop with those attitudes and prejudice. If we're going to deal with what's in our sheets. Are you still here? Now, we're just getting to the really good part. It's not going to be too much longer now. So, here's some other things that are kind of hot button issues. And this is in the church and outside the church. What about the atheist who is combative, to say the least, when it comes to God or the things of God? We need to judge ourselves and say, you know what? If I have an attitude towards this person, I can't help them. If I have a prejudice towards these people, they're not going to ever listen to me. And God's not going to ever give me influence with these people. A lot of us, because there have been some atheists before that are, they are very combative and they just rail on Christianity and rail on anybody who believes in God. That could put you off as a person. You say, well, I don't want to talk to him anyways. But guess what? They need God more than anybody. And behind all that anger and combativeness, is because they don't have God. That's why they're so upset. That's why they want to fight with everybody, because they're empty. Can we go a step further? We're dealing with what's in our sheets right now. It's unpleasant, just like peeling a tick off your chest and killing it, but you got to deal with it. Notice, if you're going to reach people and if you're going to be a part of a church that loves and reaches people, which that's kind of the whole point of us being saved in the first place. Kind of the mission that Jesus said, this is what you're called to do, all of us. But we have to deal with these attitudes and prejudice towards people. What about people who are alcoholics? They smell like alcohol when they come here. What about people that are addicted and they they smell like the substance they were using before they got here? We have to deal with these things. And I'm not just talking about in church. I'm talking outside of church too. Because really that's the main place 
you're going to be talking to people. How do we deal with those people? Once again, understand this. When, when we look at other people, we always have to look back at ourselves and say, if I was without God, what would I be doing right now? If I didn't have God in my life or a church in my life, how would I be acting? The same way. And for a lot of us in here, it was the way we acted before we met God. And we forget that sometimes. But notice God changed our life. He helped us. He, he made us whole. But how do we judge other people that are not there yet? We got to see the potential like God sees. We got to see them as clean and not unclean. Because the truth is, if we didn't have God, we would be in the same boat, doing the same things. And you know what? I wouldn't judge you for it because you got to do something to make yourself feel better. You got to do something to cloud over the loneliness you have in your heart. You got to do something to, to make you ignore the void that's in your heart and your soul. You got to do something to fill it. So people choose all sorts of things to fill it with. What about those with tattoos, with piercings? All right, I'll move on. No, I'm not. I'm just joking. I'm not going to move on. (laughs) Judging people by the way they look on the outside. And automatically saying, well, they don't want to know about God. I don't want to be around them. We have to deal with what's in our sheep. Now, here's the biggest one of all for a lot of church people. Homosexuals. Now, that's the thing that's in a lot of people's sheets as Christians. Now, the thing is, I can't give you all the answers today because, to be honest, I haven't had a lot of homosexual friends to give you advice on how you should treat your homosexual friends. I haven't had a lot of those people in my life. But we got to deal with what's in our sheet. The thing is, we'll let other people in church that have sin issues, but then there's certain sin, we say, well, we don't want them in our church. But there's other people in your church that are sinning, but it's just not that sin, and you let them in. I'm just saying, how does that work? You can't pick and choose. Because guess what? If we only allow the people who don't sin in church, none of us would be here. None of us, including myself. We'd have to sell this to another company, and it wouldn't be a church anymore, and they would take it over. If we said, well, only the people that haven't sinned can come to church, none of us would be here. There's something that's in our sheet, and you know what? With especially the homosexual community, the thing is that I see with a lot of Christian people, church people, is... They want to correct, but they don't have any compassion. The thing is, that could apply to not just them, but to any other different types of people we just talked about. You don't have a relationship with those people. You have no right to speak into their life. You don't know their story. You don't know their background. You don't know the abuse that they probably went through. And when you don't have any compassion on other people like that, you're a Pharisee. Now, I'm going to raise my hand first. I can't give you good examples right now because I haven't had a lot of those people in my life. But these are things we have to deal with if we want to reach people. We have to deal with what's in our sheet. The truth is that myself... And all of you in here, we want to reach the people we like and feel comfortable with. But that's kind of the opposite of the people that God will send us to. Because we all want to reach people that look like us, sound like us, that are already halfway normal and halfway cleaned up, and they seem like they have a pretty good life. We want to reach the people that we like and are comfortable with. But notice that's not dealing with what is in our sheet. 
And just like Peter, Peter wasn't comfortable with people that weren't Jewish. Peter wasn't comfortable hanging out, talking to people like that. But God put his finger on that issue and said, Peter, if you're going to do anything for the kingdom of God, if you're going to reach people, if you're going to be effective as a follower of Jesus, you have to deal with this issue. And knows what he did. He sent that type of person to Peter to deal with that issue. And Peter, later on in the story, Peter changes his attitude and Cornelius and his household get saved. And from then on, the church was different because of that vision in that moment. And let me tell you today, God's got to send people into your life that you don't necessarily like or comfortable with, but he's sending them for a reason because he's trying to deal with the issues in your heart. And we're all thinking, well, they need help. Well, actually, God's trying to deal with something in your heart first before you help anybody else. A lot of times we don't feel comfortable with certain people. I don't. I don't want to feel uncomfortable, but sometimes we know if we're not around a certain type of person, it's uncomfortable. But notice that's where God is pushing us to, is taking us to because he wants to deal with what's in our heart. A lot of times Christians try to reach people not because they love them, but because they feel guilty. Now, don't take what I'm saying today wrong and go out of this message like, well, Pastor Jordan just made me feel like a piece of junk today. Like I just hate everybody. So I guess I'm going to have to tell somebody about God if I have to. All right, let me go find a sinner somewhere. Hey, you got tattoos and piercings. Let me talk to you, brother. What's up, man? And that's not my heart whatsoever, so hopefully you didn't hear it that way today. I'm saying we have to deal with what's in our sheet to reach people. But we can't reach people from guilt. We have to do it from love. Because if we don't do it, they, first of all, they, they're smarter than you think they are, and they can tell. But secondly of all, you're doing it for all the wrong reasons, and that won't last if you don't do it out of genuine love for people. And the only person who can give you that kind of love that's unconditional and that looks past the way that people act and look and smell and talk and everything else is God. And God can pour that love in your heart. And guess what? For us as believers, it's already there. But sometimes you just got to stir it up because that's the only love that will last and sustain Because if we don't, we'll try to reach people out of guilt and not love. And that doesn't work. It's kind of like the the guys at the kiosk in the middle of the mall. No offense if you you do that. But let's just take, I've been hit up by many a T-Mobile salesman in the middle of the mall. They're trying to tell you about something and give you something, but not for the right reasons. out of guilt, out of love of money, out of boredom, whatever it is, they're trying to give you something and tell you something for the wrong reasons. And it comes across like that to unbelievers when we do it for the wrong reasons. Kind of like T-Mobile salesman, I'm in the mall walking and, you know, say, hey, 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 dude, dude, can I sell your phone? T-Mobile, can I sell your phone? Can I sell your phone? And, of course, usually I'm just like, hey, I have diarrhea. I got to go. Okay. <laughs> So it's always a go-to. What are they going to say? No, you don't. Follow me into the restroom. I mean, you got to think of something. I mean, that's automatically like get out of something. Just, I have restroom issues. I got to go. Bye. But notice those people are not attractive. They're annoying. And that's what a lot of us Christians come across like to other people. We're trying to sell them something. And it's not coming across attractive. It's coming across annoying and out of duty. Kind of like the guy, he's like, you know, trying to sell you some lotion from like Botswana. And he's like, man, if you use this lotion, it's going to change your life. And I'm just like, no, I'm good. And he's like, no, come on, you know, let me put some lotion on your hand. Like, get away from me, dude. 
I got to go. But notice, that's how we come across to people when we don't do it for the right reasons. Let's look over at Colossians 4, and we're going to close with this verse. Did you guys get something today? So talking about what's in our sheets this morning. So before we read this verse, the Bible gives the example of this, that the the gospel or the word of God is like a seed. And when we sow it into other people's lives, it takes time to grow. And it takes time to grow, but people have to come along and water it. And the sun has to hit it. And it takes time to grow. Meaning, a lot of times immediately when you're talking to other people, you don't plant the seed and pick the fruit on the same day. And that's what a lot of Christians try to do. And it doesn't work that way. We have to sow the seed. We have to water the seed. And notice there's a right time when we can pick the fruit. The thing is, when you force it and you try to pick something earlier than it needs to be, you damage the person. And there's been a lot of people that people have rushed in because they're like, oh, they got to get saved, they got to get saved, they got to get saved. And tried to pick the person before they were ready and turned them off from the things of God forever. And turned them off from church forever. And so we need to realize that it's a process, it's time. You know, every person you talk to is not going to say, you're right, let me get saved today, I love you. Sometimes it's going to be sowing. Sometimes it's going to be watering. But there will be a day where it's time to reap that fruit. That's kind of the way that the Bible uses those words. In Colossians 4 and verse 5, it says, Live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and notice attractive. So that you will have the right response for everyone. I love that. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, notice the way you talk to people, let it be gracious and attractive. That means you're not a Pharisee with attitudes and prejudice towards people. So that you will have the right response, notice, for everyone. Would you guys get something this morning? So let me encourage you as we start this series, I want all of us to kind of look internally. Look at our heart, look at our life. Let God reveal to us the areas and issues that we have, the prejudice and attitudes towards other people. We all have them. But we need to deal with what's in our sheet. So, today, as we close, today is, um, it's a good day. But today is uh, the day we start our life groups back. And so, uh, ushers, if you have uh, some of these handouts, could you hand these out to everyone, if possible? We're going to say a couple things about this real quick and close I appreciate you guys coming this morning, being patient. Hopefully you received something today. So if you could, everybody take one of these. So today uh, we're having sign-ups for our, our next semester of Life Group. How many is excited about that? And today in the back, uh, there will be the leaders and the co-leaders. There will be somebody back there to talk to. So here's the deal. If you want to be involved in a life group this semester, which should be every single one of you because it's good for you and you need other people. And I know we could give a lot of testimonies today of the people that were involved in life group on how much it helped them and how much it just encouraged them. And that's just the beginning. So today we're going to have sign-ups today. So uh, in a second, we're going to dismiss all the leaders and co-leaders to go in the back. But let me ask you this. I would like for everybody after um, the service is over, look at this, go in the back, at least talk to somebody, and sign up for the group that best fits you. You know, if it's the same group as last time, you can do that. If you want to change groups, you can do that. 
But, uh, but at least sign up for one group. Get involved. You know, by you signing up doesn't mean that you're going to be at every single one. You're committing to, to do everything. But it means you're interested. It means that you want to be involved to some level. And so they're going to ask you, you know, to fill out some information like your phone number, your email. So look over this. I know you guys probably been looking over this, some of you, for the past week. And go back there. Get involved in a life group. Once again, it's not every week. It's every other week. I mean, if you guys don't have two hours every two weeks, then you've got issues. You at least can give up two hours every two weeks. Um, so it, it's not too much of a burden on anybody with their time. I know everybody's got a lot going on. But two hours, uh, two to three hours every other week. Sometimes it falls two weeks in a row. just depends on what's going on at church. But everybody needs to do life with other people. Everybody, including myself. We all need each other. So let me ask you to go and sign up for that in a second. Um, let me ask, go ahead, the, the leaders and the co-leaders, you guys can go in the back and... We're going to be doing the sign-ups in the new fellowship hall. And as they're going, I just want to pray for us this morning before we dismiss. So let's pray together. Father, we just love you today, and we thank you today for this service. We thank you, Father God, for, for what you're doing in this church. Father, we thank you today for today's message. We know it was a message that all of us could feel uncomfortable about. But you're dealing with the issues in our hearts. And Father, we thank you that as we continue in the series that you would point out the areas and the issues.